Welcome everyone to the second EHA CTCL podcast series. My name is Martin Vermeer. I'm head of the Department of Dermatology at Leiden University Medical Center and my expertise is the field of cutaneous lymphomas. This is the second podcast in a two-part series discussing CTCL from how to diagnose through to how to treat and manage complex presentation. In the second podcast, we will be concentrating on the treatment of CTCL and new developments that are emerging. And with me is my co-host that, that will introduce himself now. Thank you. My name is Erik Marijt. I'm a hematologist at the Department of Hematology at the Leiden University Medical Center in the Netherlands. And my field of expertise is allogeneic stem cell transplantation for hematological malignancies. So let's start with an introductory question, which is as follows. How are treatment decisions made? Yeah, well, first of all, of course, we always want to know what the patient uh, expects from us. And when we've decided the treatment goals together, then usually, of course, uh, the first part of the treatment uh, is made by uh, the dermatologist and the hematologist and radiation oncologist uh, will be involved uh, whenever that's necessary for patient care. So um, what kind of treatment options um, would you start with, Maarten? Well, um, in, in this discussion, let, let's focus our attention a little bit to um, mycosis fungoides and to a lesser extent also anaplastic large cell uh, lymphomas. Uh, but in, in particular, C, uh, mycosis fungoides should be viewed as a chronic disease. And um, this is opposed as opposed to anaplastic large cell lymphoma, where uh, some tumors can be treated effectively with radiotherapy and then uh, around 50% of patients will have no recurrence of disease. But in mycosis fungoides, is typically a chronic disease. So our leading uh, principles or cornerstones in the management here is that we treat what we see. We use skin-directed therapies as long as we can and only revert to systemic therapies if indeed extracutaneous uh, localizations develop. We can upgrade and downgrade our treatments as needed, and we can re-challenge or re-treat using the same treatments. And quality of life should be one of the leading principles as this is a, uh, a, a, a chronic uh, a situation, of course. Great, thanks. And um, with what kind of uh, particular skin-directed therapies um, you would start your treatments? Yeah, so topical uh, treatments would be the preferred uh, treatment choice for early-stage MF. So with patients with patches and plaques, then the, uh, the topical uh, ointments would be uh, the preferred choice. Or in those patients with extensive patches and plaques, uh, light therapy will, is more attractive if an individual tumor develops, radiotherapy would be a, a, a good choice. Then if the disease progresses, unfortunately this is only in a, in a minority of patients, but in, the, if in those patients in which indeed uh, the, uh, there is a, a large number of uh, tumors developing in skin combined with uh, extracutaneous spread to lymph nodes or even metastasis to visceral organs, then chemotherapy followed by an allogeneic stem cell trans transplant uh, with curative intent would be uh, an option. But of course, that's, that decision uh, should always be made not only with the patient, 
but um, in, in the whole team, in, in, including uh, the dermatologist, the radiation oncologist, and of course, the hematologist. Yeah. Um, and also the pathologist, because um, in, in a number of cases, it will be possible to treat with targeted therapy directed at the uh, CD30 uh, antigen. Yeah, agree. Yeah. And um, well, as you I agree, as you mentioned, whenever systemic therapy uh, should be started um, for a patient, then um, basically what we always would like to do is give it a follow-up uh, with an allergenic stem cell transplantation to try to cure uh, this disease. Because we know by giving uh, mono or polychemotherapy, um, we are never able to cure the patient. Um, and in the case of an allergenic stem cell transplant, um, there are definitely um, uh, evidence that, that uh, the graft versus uh, lymphoma effect can cure the patient um, from his or her uh, disease. Thank you. So indeed, there are several uh, options um, that we have available in those patients that do have systemic disease, including different types of chemotherapy, which can also be combined with an allogeneic uh, hematopoietic stem cell transplantation. So uh, my question to you is, who is appropriate for each of these options? How do we make a choice? Yeah, so the, I think uh, the cornerstone of uh, systemic treatment uh, for patients with advanced disease um, is to effectively uh, treat the tumor um, and uh, trying to avoid uh, severe side effects and um, giving monosystemic therapy or systemic monochemotherapy is preferable to um, polychemotherapy because um, polychemotherapy consists of uh, CHOP or tube-like um, therapies and that is associated with um, severe side effects uh, such as uh, neutropenia, um, at, uh, admission to, into hospitals because of high fevers and, and septicemia, etc. And with monochemotherapy, uh, these side effects are far less. So um, usually we choose either uh, liposomal doxorubicin, which uh, has reduced toxicity, uh, also a lesser um, effect on the cardiac muscles. And um, it has an uh, overall response rate of about 41 to um, 88% and a total time to progression of about 13 months. Uh, alternatively, uh, gemcitabine um, can be chosen, and this has uh, overall response rates varying from 48 to 68%, and an identical time um, to uh, progression. Um, if these first-line uh, monochemotherapies uh, fail, then we have to switch, and depending on whether the CD30 antigen is present uh, on the tumor of this patient, um, we can use uh, brentuximab vedotin, that is a monoclonal antibody um, uh, directed at the CD30 uh, antigen. And recently, uh, the Alanza study has been published comparing the treatment uh, of brentuximab uh, versus uh, the treatment of choice um, by the physician, um, methotrexate or bexarotene. And um, this um, uh, treatment with plantuximab uh, demonstrated 3.7-fold uh, improvement um, in risk, 
risk progression and a progression-free uh, survival of about 13.2 months. Um, there's one um, uh, financial uh, point that uh, particularly in the Netherlands uh, we have to be aware of and that is that reimbursement um, with brentuximab is only allowed for uh, second-line therapies. Thank you very much. So this is, as I understand it, the approach that you would take to mycosis fungoides patients with extensive skin involvement and ulcerating tumors and with maybe also already some involvement of, of lymph nodes. Um, what would your approach be in a patient with accessory syndrome in which from the beginning we not only have, of course, the uh, erythroderma, but also blood involvement and uh, in a large number of patients already uh, involvement of lymph nodes as well. As you know, my first line of therapy, when I see those patients and if the disease is somewhat limited, uh, if you can say so in a accessory uh, a patient, would be uh, used to use skin-directed therapies. And uh, traditionally, we would use low-dose prednisone up to, let's say, uh, 15 uh, milligrams or 20 milligrams a day. Um, if that wouldn't be sufficient, we would combine it with interferon, methotrexate or uh, a retinoid. Of course, a number of patients will not um, respond satisfactorily to, to, the, to this treatment. As accessory syndrome has a poor prognosis, a five-year survival around 30%. And at a certain point, we would like to upgrade to a more intensive uh, treatment regime. And at that moment, we would start our discussion together. And I'm very curious to what you would uh, like to introduce as a second-line therapy. Well, nowadays um, it's possible to um, give the patients uh, mogamulizumab. The Maverick trial um, showed beneficial responses regardless of the number of prior therapies. And um, this is an impressive um, addition to our uh, tool of um, uh, therapies for these uh, difficult to treat patients. There was no influence of uh, prior use uh, of HEC inhibitors. And um, in some patients who were also treated with uh, an allogeneic stem cell transplantation, um, there was well there was the, the um, consideration that there might be some more severe uh, graft versus host disease, which would be more um, refractory to a graft versus uh, host treatment, to glucocorticoid uh, steroid treatment. Another uh, possibility, for instance, if mogalizumab fails, would be low-dose uh, alamtuzumab directed against the CD52 antigen. And... Um, it has been shown in early studies that uh, an overall response rate of 38 to 86% uh, could be achieved. And um, one of the major problems in our uh, own experience um, is that these patients are severely immunocompromised um, due to the fact that also healthy T-cells are eradicated by this uh, kind of therapy. I think we've seen some rather difficult to treat infections as well in these patients. Yeah. So, um, what are the side effects of these therapies? Could you say something a little bit about that and how these are being managed? Yeah. So, um, for instance, the systemic treatment with interferons um, 
can be associated with uh, general malaise, um, weight loss, um, and sometimes uh, depression. Um, even patients um, might go about killing themselves. Um, so that's also uh, always a warning um, that I discuss with these patients that whenever uh, they or their uh, family members notice uh, mood changes, then uh, they have to contact us and uh, maybe we should refrain then from further uh, interferon therapy. Um, with the uh, chemotherapy regimens that we give, um, it's always possible to, to observe myelosuppression suppression causing uh, febrile neutropenia and severe infections. Sometimes you can observe uh, the hand-foot syndrome. And I must say that in, in my own experience, um, the uh, side effects of um, the gemcitabine and uh, the liposomal doxorubicin are relatively um, uh, limited. Whenever we have to give patients um, the CHOP or CHOOP therapies, then of course um, they, they have much more um, severe side effects uh, with nausea, anorexia, uh, fevers, uh, severe infections, um, skin reactions, and um, in the case of alentuzumab, also um, uh, CMV or EBV viral um, reactivations. Yeah, so it, 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 this can be a really uh, complicated picture because um, the patients start with skin disease and then uh, they can also have some of the side effects are presenting in skin. So it, it sometimes becomes difficult to differentiate the uh, disease from skin reactions. And this is typically also the, the, the case in patients with mogamulizumab that uh, develop so-called moga rash in uh, up to 20% uh, of the patients, uh, in particular in the uh, first course of disease. And then it's always a good idea, I think, to take an additional biopsy. And that can help uh, us very, very much to, to see what's really going on. Um, so the next, what I would like to ask you is, when is allogeneic hematopoietic stem cell transplantation appropriate and why are they a good option? Um, well, that's obviously a very good question um, because um, uh, allogeneic stem cell transplantation is a very uh, complicated therapy associated with uh, some very severe uh, side effects, even uh, mortality. And... Um, the reason that we would advise um, uh, designated patients uh, to undergo uh, a stem cell transplant is um, if they would refrain from this type of therapy, then um, they, they certainly would die of their aggressive uh, lymphoma. So basically, when, when we start systemic therapy, um, we also try to identify um, a donor for these patients and um, we start looking for um, an allogenic stem cell donor uh, in all patients uh, under the age of uh, 75 uh, years. So why do you choose an allo SCT? And I assume you mean in contrast to an autologous stem cell transplantation. Correct. Well, that's because autologous stem cell transplantation is basically very high-dose chemotherapy with uh, stem cell rescue. And we know um, from literature that uh, chemotherapy um, can be effective to lower the tumor burden, but always within three to six months, uh, the patient uh, presents again um, with um, progression of his disease. Um, so 
Uh, autologous stem cell transplantation will not differ that uh, clinical pattern. And the uh, allogeneic stem cell transplantation is a, a form of uh, alloimmune therapy, whereby donor alloimmune T cells can recognize foreign antigens on the malignant cells and can induce a graft versus uh, lymphoma effect. And one of the, 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 the side effects um, is graft versus host uh, disease of this um, uh, form of treatment. Um, and we want to prevent graft versus host disease, disease, particularly in the first couple of months after transplantation. Therefore, we uh, treat the patient with immunosuppressive drugs. And then we start to taper those drugs after three to four months. Uh, and when no graft versus host disease occurs, we will uh, start treating the patient with this alloimmune therapy called donor lymphocyte infusion. Um, and this can repeat it um, every two to three months, depending on uh, whether or not an uh, alloimmune response and a an, uh, graft versus lymphoma uh, effect is observed. Thank you. Um, now, I can imagine this type of intensive uh, treatment will also have its drawbacks. So I'm curious what these drawbacks might be and how they can be managed. Yeah, so um, as I said, graft versus host disease is a, a potential complication of this treatment. And graft versus host disease can occur uh, prior, predominantly in uh, three organs, um, the liver, the gastrointestinal tract, and uh, in the skin. Although um, in the case of uh, patients with cutaneous T-cell lymphomas, um, graft versus host disease, the skin might be considered as the actual therapy instead of a, a side effect. Other um, uh, side effects are opportunistic infections. That is uh, because of the um, immunosuppressed, immunosuppressive treatment that we give the patients, uh, either to prevent graft versus host and to prevent rejection of the hematopoietic stem cells from the donor. Of course, the, the most impressive side effect is non-relapse mortality, which occurs in about uh, 20% of the patients. Uh, so we... Um, uh, have still a major goal to achieve um, in reducing uh, this relatively high percentage of um, uh, mortality in these patients. And, and what I always find basically the most difficult decision is when to perform this allogeneic stem cell transplant. And um, we would like to do it uh, in a situation of um, the least amount of tumor cells present in the body of the patient because that is associated with an increased uh, chance of survival and cure. Um, but of, co of course, uh, because of the high mortality rate, uh, you want to postpone the transplant um, uh, as much as possible. And on the other hand, you uh, would not want to miss the window of opportunity. Um, and the, 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 the disease has uh, become too aggressive to manage anymore. I agree completely. I have the same um, uh, difficulty so to say, from, from, from the other side of the spectrum, when I'm treating those patients, what is the correct moment to refer the patients to uh, for, for uh, stem cell transplantation? This is precisely the reason why we have these combined clinics and together we, we try to understand the disease of the patients as good as we can and to make an assessment as good as we can on how the disease will develop and then together with the patient make the most informed uh, decision as we can on when to to start this uh, this uh, therapy. So could you say a little bit about the different 
allo-SET donor types? Yes, we always start uh, looking for siblings, um, which might be HLA identical uh, to the patient. And um, that are the type of donors that we prefer. If there is no HLA identical sibling available, we start looking for uh, a 10 out of 10 matched unrelated donor. And whenever we find either this 100% uh, matched unrelated donor or an HLA identical sibling, then we can make use of our uh, conditioning regimen, which we, which we have recently started to use for these kind of patients and um, was uh, first uh, developed by Stanford University and consists of uh, total skin irradiation for about three to four weeks. Then um, the patient is admitted to the hospital and is treated uh, five days with um, anti-thymocyte glomalin and receives uh, 10 doses of total lymphoid um, irradiation and then uh, an unmanipulated uh, stem cell graft. And to prevent graft versus host disease, we start with uh, double immunosuppressive therapy. When we can only find uh, a nine out of 10 donor, then we will not make use of this new conditioning regimen, uh, but um, will use our own uh, standard non-myeloablative regimen um, combining uh, fludarabine, cyclophosphamide, um, and low-dose uh, TBI. And uh, to prevent graft-versus-host disease, uh, the patient receives two days uh, of high-dose cyclophosphamide uh, post-transplant. Thank you. So it's, um, I think, very clear that this is a very complicated and very intensive uh, treatment regimen. Um, do you see new treatments uh, developing for CTCL in the near future? Yes, definitely. Um, there are uh, a number of um, phase one and phase two trials going on. There are trials with the uh, checkpoint inhibitors uh, directed against the PD-1 uh, ligand with uh, atezolizumab. Another trial um, studies the effect of an anti-CD47 monoclonal antibody. And there are some clinical trials studying the effect of bispecific antibodies in which um, activity against the CD30 antigen on malignant uh, T-cells is combined with um, uh, an anti-CD16 activity, um, an antigen present on natural killer cells. And the idea is to um, bring these natural killer cells into close proximity of the malignant T-cell and then uh, kill the T-cells, the malignant T-cells. Then um, there are some small molecules um, that are studied. PI3 kinase inhibitors, uh, duvelizib, uh, HZEC inhibitors such as romidepsin and proteasome inhibitors used for the treatment of multiple myeloma such as uh, bortezomib. And finally, almost the holy grail is uh, right now cellular therapy um, with CAR T-cells in which uh, autologous T-cells are transduced with a chimeric antigen receptor um, against TD30. Um, Thank you very much. This brings us more or less at the end of this second uh, podcast on CTCL. And in trying to summarize our discussions, I think I should at least mention the following. So, whereas early stage 
CTCL disease can be managed effectively with skin-directed therapies as soon as a more advanced disease, and in particular if extracutaneous disease localizations develop, we should always discuss in our team with the hematologist what kind of additional therapies are needed. We have covered different type of monochemotherapy, uh, uh, including liposomal doxorubicin and gemcitabine, but also novel developments such as um, the anti-CD30 antibody uh, brentuximab vedotin and um, other uh, antibodies that are being used are mogamulizumab and alemtuzumab. In a selected number of patients, we can decide to perform a allogeneic stem cell transplantation. And of course, we, there are also some novel developments, including the uh, checkpoint inhibitors and uh, maybe in the future also cellular therapy using CAR T cells. This brings us to the end of this uh, second podcast uh, series. I'd like to remind you that, uh, that this is indeed the second in a series of two. The first one is available on the EHA campus as well. And with that, I'd like to thank the listeners for their attention and my co-host as well. Maar it was a great pleasure to discuss uh, the treatment uh, and diagnosis of these very difficult uh, patient populations with cutaneous T-cell lymphomas. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. And it's a great pleasure to discuss them with you. And it's also always a great pleasure to discuss patients with you as well.